Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our show presented by Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. We are part of the 440 Sports Network. Our guest today, Mike Rapp, who is sitting right beside me. Mike has, well, he's basically one of the founding partners of Vandy Sports. I'll let him tell his story and how he got involved. We're laughing already. Anyway, Mike appears on the guest line. That is presented by Michael Kendrick of the Kendrick Group. Michael is a local carpenter and a lifelong Vandy fan. He builds bookshelves, cabinets, picture frames, furniture, and made-to-order items including a display case for my prized Dale Murphy jersey. I've seen Michael's work. He's a true craftsman. If you're in the market for custom woodwork, give Michael a call at 615-830-9458. And welcome to the show, Mike Rapp. I didn't expect we would be doing this in person, but yeah, it's been a long time since we worked together. Yeah, maybe this is a metaphor for how we work together. I showed up at your house to do this show and you're... Wife says, "There's a there's a strange man at the door," and then she says, "Wrong." No, and then she said, "Oh, it's Mike Rabb." And I said, "Yeah, a strange man at the door." You were right, both in both circumstances. Yeah, I usually do these podcasts by phone, and and we're struggling. We couldn't get two mics hooked up at once, so we're sharing <laughs> a microphone. Though, right? It is nothing at Vandy Sports is ever easy. We just did the pod with Seabass, and it just was hilarious. I'm sitting there, and you can hear me laughing. We're figuring it out that we met as he was getting kicked out of the press box at Vanderbilt. So, like, of course, you and I had to have some sort of a weird, unexpected start for tonight. I had no clue you were going to show up on my doorstep. I just thought I'd call you and do this by phone. But but then again, you've not really been with us in the podcast era, so you just you didn't know. And I'm happy to be here. Well, it, It'll go better this way, except for the awkward part of sitting next to you and sharing a mic, which is a little weird. Fortunate for you. Uh, yeah, exactly. When, all right, let, let's go back to the beginning. I started the site in January of 2003. I called you a founding partner. You're really not, because I think you, you technically, you weren't with me from day one. But I think, I remember, and I want to hear your recollection of, of how we got together. I remember my version of the story, but I want to hear it from your lips because you may have a different memory of of how we got together for this. Yeah, this was a long time ago. What was I doing for a living? Was I working at Word Records? Self, I think. Okay. And I don't, I think we were on, we were, we were just knew each other from, from Vanny Mania, I guess, right? Yeah, well, you were you were one of the more prominent posters there. Really? Oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, so we we met, and uh, just got got to be friends and casual friends. And then you called me up one day and said, "Hey, would you like to be a partner in in a rival site?" And I said, "No, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I don't want to do that." The, the, the first answer is always the right answer. But, well, that was I. I didn't. I. At that point in my life, I was not yet, I didn't, this was a turning point for me in my life because I remember talking to, how many times did I turn you down? I don't remember. Yeah, it was a few times. And I talked to my wife about it and she asked me the greatest question. She said, is there any reason that you shouldn't do it? 
And I, <laughs> at the time, I said no. And I realized that, you know, back then I'd, I'd, I'd never taken sports photography. I was the goober that you see on the sidelines of these games today. You know, and I was barely wise enough to not wear a Vanderbilt shirt. You know, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? But, uh, I thought, well, you said, and then you said, well, look, <laughs> like you said, I'll split the, re the re subscription revenues with you. Both dollars. And I said, how many, <laughs> now this was in the beginning of the subscription era. Yeah. Most people don't realize rivals was right. the first subscription network. I believe it was the first subscription network period. I think so. And of any kind. And I was just getting into the, this thing that Al Gore invented, you know, called the internet. And I thought, well, how many subscribers do you have? <laughs> and now we're laughing. And I think you said 30. I and and that, I, I think that was an overestimate. Right. I was sure it was. And you were pretty proud of that. I remember, right? <laughs> and I felt so bad for you because I was like, well, Chris, like, that doesn't cover like no, it does doesn't not. cover gas. I mean, literally, it wouldn't cover gas. And I and I felt really bad saying it, but I felt like I had to say it because it's like, dude, you need to know what we're getting into here if you want to do this. And but then you said, I don't think you meant to. I don't think you realized how subversive this was at the time. <laughs> but you said, I'll get you a photo pass and you can shoot on the sidelines. <laughs> And I said, I'm in. <laughs> now we're laughing because like I barely knew anything about, I had worked in the music business. So I was, um, for many, many years in the Christian music business. So I was used to being in photo shoots at photo shoots, art directing, all of that was not new to me, but I'd never shot. But I thought, well, what, like my wife said, well, is there any reason not to? And I'm like, I can get a camera. I mean, what's the worst? I can't hurt myself. I was wrong about that too. And that's how it all started. And um, we were really fortunate in a lot of ways because Rivals was new, relatively new. And they, most people don't realize they were based in Nashville. Like yeah. that network was based right here in town. And Rivals was starting to put together this advertising network. And they, their sell, at least at the time, was we have a site for every school in each major league, yeah. right? And so they wanted a Vanderbilt site, <laughs> as crazy as that sounded. We kind of had an X factor. We were, in a lot of ways, we were way ahead of most of the rival sites because we actually treated it like a publishing company. We were actually doing, like most of the big sites, they just covered recruiting around the clock. Yeah. Well, we, we weren't really all that fascinated with recruiting. <laughs> it's like, just seemed like weird. So, but rivals, that was their bread and butter, but we were actually doing, I, I thought we did some really cool publishing ideas. Like we did the, we had that series in, inside the game. Like we would, yeah. you would have a game story, which was your generic game story. And then we do inside the Georgia game right. and man, we, those were really, really interesting stories. And you and I got to the point where we knew how to work together not just in terms of what we were doing, but in time and space, like we knew how to run this, I, these ideas. Yeah. And, uh, we would be talking on the phone or talking at halftime or talking before the game. You would 
go do interviews. I'd public, I'd download the photos. We'd edit. We'd, we would literally work side by side like a creative team does. And we were publishing these really great stories that were quite unique. I mean, yeah. they were very unique. And frankly, they were, in my opinion, even to this day, I think they were some of the best published uh, stories on the Rivals system throughout the whole, the whole network. And we were shooting, <laughs> turned out, professional photography. Yeah. Because I had some experience in HTML at that point, CSS, I could actually hack the Rivals system. <laughs> I could actually write inline code and put these huge photographs into game stories and I stuff. Think they hated you for that. They, they, oh, they absolutely hated me for it. I didn't care. But it was cool. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it was cool. And so, you know, we went from 30 to 32 to 40 to 50 to 60 to 80. And we're like, whoa, like, and people weren't quitting. And, and I was like, then the message board started to kind of pick up and our friends at Vandy Mania started to really hate us <laughs> <laughs> pretty openly, if I recall. And then it got to a hundred and hundred and I remember we hit 150. I think rivals was shocked. No. Well, yes and no. Um, on the subs, then I'll go back to the beginning. I might hit that the back to the very beginning in the mailbag. It was so disheartening. I remember we sat down with rivals. Oh. <sighs> Yeah, maybe six months or a year in. Yeah, and and we sat down, and I won't I won't name names, no. but the the consultation was one of the the big wigs at the company uh, spending fifteen minutes telling us all about him. And then it's oh what let's, let's talk about you guys for thirty seconds. But I do remember we had another meeting with somebody there, and I I just looked at him and said how. How big can we get? Yeah. He said, well, you just you guys have just got to keep putting stuff out all the time. He I said, care. yeah, but give, give me a number. And I, well, I mean, maybe not, but I don't think he was being dishonest. No. He, he looked at me. He, he paused him and he said, I think you can be at a thousand in what, six months or a year or something like that. 20 years in, we've never hit a thousand for even a day. No. Uh, but he, he said, I remember at the time he said, my comp is the old Miss site. And what they're doing, and the people that ran the old my old Miss site then are not the same people that that run it now. Not not even close. And mm. they they weren't. Well, mm. it was what it was. But I just remember him going, "Yeah, you can be at a thousand before too long if you keep working at it." And that just shows you what the market for Vanderbilt content has always been like. Yeah, to give some perspective, I mean, I think the largest site at that time was Florida State, right? Mm -hmm. And they had 20,000 subscribers or 30. I think you would still have big sites like Georgia or someone like that. They might pick up about as many in the coaching search as we ever had in our best day in the history of the site, you know, 10, 12 years in. Yeah, that's pretty normal. And I, we were kind of in a category of, I don't know, Duke, Stanford, you know, there was like a category of sites and we were different than most of them because we didn't focus exclusively on recruiting, but we were bigger than, we became bigger than all of those sites, all of them. We were the largest private school site on the network. Yeah. I think Rivals was shocked, honestly. I don't, I don't, they're like, what in the world? Like these guys might actually like be knowing what they're doing. And 
honestly, I think we kind of did know what we're doing. I mean, we we had more of a publishing idea than most of the sites did. Most of the sites at that time were run by a fan who wanted to hang out, you know, near the locker room and get to know the players and stuff. And we didn't we didn't operate that way. We thought we were publishers. We thought we were writers. And that was a big reason that we succeeded, both professionally and and uh, personally, we succeeded and eventually we became pretty well uh, respected in the Nashville media. And that was back when there were newspapers, multiple newspapers. And I hate to say this, but, you know, it was common for Memorial Gym to be sold out every night, 15,000 people. And it was hard to get a seat. It was hard to get a seat on in the media, too. Yeah. You know, Brett Haight became a really good friend of ours. He was at the city paper. We'd trade photos and trade interviews. And I think those were really interesting times. I think we knew it at the time. We definitely knew it. That was what, kind of what made it fun, right? We actually knew this, this is actually working. I got real photography. I got real cameras and started shooting professionally for other, other media outlets and um, got to be pretty decent at it. And ironically, because of my background, in digital media, which really was far ahead of most of the publishers that were doing the sites at that time. We actually did things that most sites would call us. I mean, big sites would call us and ask us how we were doing things. And I don't think we ever had much of an illusion that we were going to make this into our only job. There was never any idea that that would happen, but we ended up getting way bigger than we ever thought we were going to get. And I think, um, I still think we did really interesting things for the most part. And we kind of fell into a lot of, a lot of really interesting things at a time when Vanderbilt, there was a lot of interesting things happening around Vanderbilt at that point in time. It was this SEC was just becoming the superpower conference. Yeah. Yeah. I remember it's like we were doing things, but at the same time, it just was so hard to move the needle financially. Our only expenses are an internet connection and maybe writing off part of your cable, you're still losing money your first two years. That's disheartening. But, but that's what it was. I remember we would, we would cover the heck out of recruiting, even though we didn't like it. I remember at one point we broke, I think, 20-something commitments in a row. This was back before Twitter and everything. I remember one weekend, I, I published like five or six stories in one day, yeah. breaking commitments or whatever. And I looked up and I would check our subscribers number. And we went from like 68 to 66. I'm like, oh, what a, what a kick in the pants. Yeah, I remember those calls. I guess I never really thought we were ever going to become financially viable. But you always took that really hard. <laughs> I didn't really take it so hard because I didn't really, I guess that my expectations were different. I was just having fun, honestly. I just didn't. Uh, I wanted to do really good work. Oh, I think you and I both were committed to really good journalism, mm. and definitely that was not the the motto at Rivals. No. No. <laughs> yeah, so we we were different because we really cared about good writing. You were excellent writer, and I was a decent photographer. We were unique, and I think it's very unique. In I hate to say that it makes me. Makes, I don't want to sound like we were freaking. Woodward and Bernstein, right. although we did have a moment, which I'm sure we'll talk about, but Rivals became pretty 
I think it helped that they were in town, but they were pretty, I think they got to a point where they realized, okay, well, they're never going to be Florida State, but they'll be the best Vandy. They're pretty, they yeah, they're pretty, pretty darn good. And those guys know what they're doing. And, and I think that a lot of the coaches, not all of them, a lot of the coaches and certainly parents of the players really respected the, the uh, time that we put in that we were there all the time and that we were respectful of them and care. And we really cared about their kids. I think back to some of the moments, cause it, like it, it was, it was rewarding in the ways that you, it, it was, it was not financially rewarding, but it was in other ways, friendships and things. And I think the two moments that I had that I think were my, maybe my proudest moments in the history of the site we both, I know, we would listen to Mark Howard and Kevin Ingram and, and Frank Wycheck when he was there all the time. I and mean, they were the best media thing this town ever had going. And I don't remember at what point I got a, I got a call to, to come on and talk Vandy on Mark's show. I, I couldn't believe it. And then I was their, their guy for, for years until I did radio myself. And then I, because of working for another station, you can't go on another station. When I got out of that, they had me right back on. I think I got more years there than I did hmm. where I was, even having my own station. That, that, and I think the other time, uh, I remember talking to David Clymer, and, and David was a probably the best newspaper guy this town's had in our lifetime, it, and B a, a really nice guy. If you didn't know him, I think people had an impression of David. Um, through his writing uh, that, that was not consistent with who he, he was. But David was fair, and David was accurate. And, and David, I, I don't think that there's been anybody close to David. N no offense to anybody since he left. But I remember I was talking to David, I think outside. Somehow we, we ran into each other outside of the stadium. And I introduced myself, and I've been around him for years, and he's like, yeah, I know who you are. You do great work. I was like, wow. I didn't think I'd be in your wheelhouse if you would even read or be familiar with, with our work. But to me, that was the moment. Th those two things above anything were, I, I thought, probably the proudest moments I've had to cite because it was validation for people that were at the top of their field, and, and they respected what we did. And professionally, that's hard to beat. Was was David also the guy that um, apologized to you when you covered your first Predators game and the game was one to nothing? <laughs> no, 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 I don't. I don't really sorry. Maybe man. it was. I did. I mean, I was Maybe freelancing. There's, there's never been a time that I have not been doing something else, whether it's a full time job in another field. I remember about three or four years ago, I was, I, I worked for a company. And they were talking about, well, we, we might try to have somebody run an SEC site. And that was kind of, that kind of the carrot that never materialized. But I was like, well, what do you need me to do? Well, like, we need a high school football guy. Mm -hmm. And they wanted me to write like 18 stories in one night without going to any games. I would be watching whatever was on WXUP or whatever. And I would be having parents at the game send me stuff. I would try to, it was impossible. I'd be working from like, six at night till three in the morning. And sometimes there was a, like an 11 o'clock kickoff at Vandy and I'm showing up at the stadium. And, and then I get up in the sucker. morning. Well, and I was, and I, I was, I was doing an, an unbelievable job for what I had to work with. 
Um, I didn't get official stats. And then, and then inevitably what would happen is I would wake up in the morning, there'd be an email from, uh, we got a complaint from the parent, you misspelled this kid's last name or, but it was, it was the thing that I had to do to stay in this. I remember driving Lyft God. and listening to a baseball game against Arkansas a few years Jeez. ago. Been, it's been glamorous. real glamorous. <laughs> when I was editing Chris Dorch at Blue Ribbon a few years ago, I was working, I think, 90 to 100 hour weeks in the summers. And I remember going to church wow. uh, and I thought I was going to pass out standing up to sing. But I mean, we have done, well, you, you never went in it full time, which was a very smart decision. But for me doing this to have to, everything that I've had to string together to just be able to do Vandy sports. It's been, you know, Malcolm Gladwell wrote about the 10,000 hour rule about like what you've done 10,000 hours on something. You're an expert. I don't know what my number is, but I know it's over 10,000. It's never been one day where that was good enough not to do something else. I think that we always valued our time together. Yeah. I think we were barely wise enough to realize that friendships were mo- were really valuable. And I don't know why that's always stuck with me ever since in my entire career, no matter where I've been. I've worked at Google, I've worked at other companies, but the value of friendships and relationships are that I I I hold that higher than even the quality of my design work. And it's because of of you. It's because of how many times we genuinely, um, uh, how do I say this? Like the, the special moments, we recognize. They were awesome. They, we recognize them yeah. when they were happening. We yeah. recognize that they were special, number one. And number two, we recognize that our presence together was special. Yeah. We valued that. We, we loved our friendship. And, and Brett Haight was a part of that mm-hmm. as well. We did a lot of things together and we just loved being together. And we made the most of those times going to New York City and yeah. me dropping his, uh, <laughs> do you remember that? No. Oh, well, I don't know if you want to get into this, but. Go for it. We, it was the NCAA tournament. Yeah, it was, it was the Jeff Green game. Yeah, it was the game when Vanderbilt, one of endless times where Vanderbilt got hosed by officials. And I actually had the photographs to prove it. Ironically, they were used in the media a lot. I know a lot. It's probably the most used (laughs) photograph I ever had. But, um, Brett, had you ever been to New York city? No. And and you remember who we met for dinner? I don't, who would we meet? I won't say his name on the podcast, but he goes by New York door. Okay. Oh yeah. 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 Of course. Of course. Well, neither of you had been to Manhattan. Mm -hmm. I couldn't believe it. So I'm like, boys, we're going, we're going to Manhattan. We're going to New York city. And I remember Brett was like a kid. I was like, Oh my gosh. I'm like, he was just starting to shoot. Mm-hmm. Ironically, I was ahead of him in photography at that point. And, um, he went to New York to shoot. We went to New York city and he, that was his first, I think it was probably his first sort of real adventure in photography. And now he's, he's phenomenal photographer. I mean, absolutely phenomenal, but <laughs> we go to New York city. We were there all day. Yeah. Come back. It was like an awesome boy, the, you know, the wolf pack. <laughs> the wolf pack. <laughs> he was so proud. He had that compact flash card in his camera. 
that had all the photo- all the photography in it. You don't remember this, do you? No, no. Oh my gosh, it was one of the funniest things. I guess I took it out of his camera for some reason to hand it to him. And it you could not have staged this better if it was a movie, but it slipped and fell right into the glass of water. It, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and Brett, having, I mean, if Brett's listening, I, I mean, I mean, no disrespect whatsoever, but Brett was so furious because he thought all the photos were lost. And I said, oh, dude, don't, it's a compact, it's digital media. It doesn't make any difference. I pulled it out of the water, for, but for about 15 seconds, I think he really wanted to punch me in the face. He was so mad at me. For some reason, I think we always really were able to recognize when we were having moments that, yeah. that were memorable. And I think all the other horse that we ended up having to go through, and the list is longer than we want to spend on a podcast, uh, we did it all for just to hang together and to have fun, I think, and to do really good media, do really good media. We, a lot of people would have fun doing this and frankly did garbage media. Uh, it would just drive you insane reading their articles. We never, and they were all making more than us. Oh, all of them. That's what made it even worse. Cause they were looking at us like, who, who are you? <laughs> dumb, you dumb <laughs> Nashville <laughs> covering Vanderbilt. I think we always knew in the most of the time in the moment we knew this was a, something that we need that was was special the friendship was was always a thing i i've done three of these the first one i did with luke white and I, I just you spend a lot of time when you hit a milestone thinking like what have i done with my life right. and i was really kind of depressed going into it just thinking i've made some horrible choices with all the time i've spent on this <laughs> yeah that's true though well that that, that is, is but it's also like, well, I wouldn't be friends with you either. And I don't know how to put a price on that. And I mean this sincerely. You know, I've been through some stuff yeah. in 20 years yeah. and several good friends. I'm, I'm very fortunate in that regard. But nobody has been there and, and picked up the phone and just called me and just said, hey, how are you doing more than you? And, and I mean that sincerely. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of good friends that have done that, but none of them... Have, have done that more than you, even to the point where we hadn't talked a lot before my surgery back in May. And I think you called me just about every day, mm-hmm. right before and right after. And that's just, that's always been who you are. And we've always just had that kind of bond ever since the day we, we started doing this together. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. Again, I think we always recognized that. And I've carried that with me. I've been very, very blessed and fortunate to do some really fun, challenging things in my career. Uh, And my attitude toward people, toward the people I'm with, I always prioritized those, those people because I'm old enough to have worked at enough places to know they all go away. But the relationship, it sounds corny, but... It's still true. The relationships stay the same. And I've been really fortunate in my life and my career to have quite a few of those circumstances. We were, we were there at some, frankly, some of the most memorable, greatest moments in the history of Vanderbilt athletics. I mean, a lot of times we're the only ones. (laughs) I know. Those are, you know, people say, oh, it's just Vanderbilt. Well, you know, it was Vanderbilt though. Yeah. I mean. It, It mattered to those people. But I remember when you called me and said, 
I know you think I'm just a baseball freak, but you're going to have to figure out how to get down here to Hawkins Field because this guy, Tim Corbin, is the real deal. And I'm like, yeah, right, sure. <laughs> I mean, that's, you would say that because that's just who you are. He said, no, I know that you're thinking that's just who you are, but this is true. I am telling you, this guy's going to win a national championship at Vanderbilt. And I'm like, God, you're so full of crap. But okay. <laughs> I remember thinking, what's the worst thing that can happen, right? Is there a downside to that? Sure. Okay. You know, I remember the first couple of seasons with Tim. I could see it in his eyes. I mean, I, you could see a little bit of us in his, in his eyes, right? And after two years, two and a half years, three years, I didn't know if they could win a national championship, but I was absolutely sure that Tim thought they could. Yeah. And Tim was knew how to get there. And and <laughs> so many of the times do you remember Alex Feinberg? Oh yeah. Probably most people listening to this don't know who Alex Feinberg was. Alex was third he was third baseman, right? Second baseman. Yeah. He was a pretty high recruit out of California at that time. He's a really good baseball player. Not a great baseball player, but he was very good baseball player. He was one of the best middle infielders in the league, which was saying something. And (laughs) he had had this phrase, he was, this only worked when Vanderbilt had a dirt field, but he would say, Corbin's raking. (laughs) Corbin's raking tonight. And that Tim would get the the rake and go out and rake the infield. Just to get, just to be pissed off, just to, and that became a phrase with that whole group of Vanderbilt people for several years. Like, oh man, Corbin's going to be raking tonight. And if Tim, if you're listening, you know, you're, I know you're laughing, but, but that was the truth. He did do it. <laughs> he would grab that rake and I, he'd be out there raking. I'm going, oh, I'm not going to go talk. I'm not going to go interview him. You do not want no, no. to talk to Tim Corbin when he's raking. And honestly, he would go do that so that he wouldn't put himself in a position where he'd say something he regret because he would tell you exactly what was on his mind with his like steeled eyes. You didn't even have to hear a word. No, and that was actually the thing that I loved about Tim still to this day. He could tell you exactly how he felt and he wanted you to know how he felt. Yeah. I mean, uh, there were a few times when he would say something in press, I'd be in the press box and somebody, everybody would come back from the press conference with that like, oh boy. <laughs> like what? He said, oh man, Corbin. And somebody would be chuckling, you know, <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, there's going to be some quotes tonight. Or not. I sure love that guy. A couple things. The best Tim Corbin quote ever was, I was working on a magazine story um, and I was getting some quotes from his wife. And this was right after I think they'd won it in 2014. And, and she was reflecting, and, and Tim is a very self-reflective guy. I think Tim Tim knows he's I mean, he's more aware than anybody that he's high strung and what comes with that. I think he feels bad about it later, but it is what it is. And you just kind of know that going in. Mm. And I remember talking to his wife and she was going through some of the things. And, and I think she said, I remember the nights he would sleep in his office. And then she paused and said, or maybe I should say not sleep in his office. <laughs> and like, that was the best, that was the best Tim quote ever. Cause it just, it summed it up. But I remember the first time I met him, they had beaten Tennessee mm. in 03. 
to make the SEC tournament, which is a really big deal at the time. We had no idea. We we weren't really doing college baseball, but I'm like, I'm going to cover this guy the next year because I'm I'm a. In fact, if I had to go back, what, what I was trying to do at the time, and we'll go into some of the the founding stuff later, but at at the time that I got asked to do Vandy Sports, I was actually trying to make a career in sort of maybe sabermetrics or fantasy baseball or something like that. So the fact that I was doing Vandy and could do baseball too was like, all right, I'm going to take the thing I'm doing and and sort of combine it with the thing that mm. I was trying to get into and and hope I have something to cover, mm. which, you know, who knew? I remember driving to Magoogan and parking and we pulled our cars in at the same time. And I don't know how, but he just looks at me. We'd never met face to face. I don't know how he knew what I looked like, but he just looks at me and says, Chris, I'm Tim Corbin. In the parking lot, which was which was one more time than Kevin Stallings ever called me by my name. <laughs> he never he never said no, that. No, never, never. So there was that. And I remember going in his office and you could eat off the floor. Oh, there there yeah. wasn't a speck of dust anywhere. Everything in the office was at a right angle. And that's when I knew I'm just like, this guy has got his stuff so put together that if anybody's got a chance, it's him. I remember a South Carolina. Now South Carolina w- right. was was the dominant program probably in in the league, one of the most dominant programs in the history of the NCAA. And Tim, rightfully, he was from Clemson, so he obviously knew and and respected South Carolina. I mean, they still have probably one of the largest baseball attendances in in college baseball. And somebody came to our board. I don't know if you remember this, South Carolina fan, they were playing here in Nashville, came to our board on the Friday, the the afternoon of the Friday game, Vanderbilt, South Carolina, and said, some dude came up to me. I was walking around the the grounds and some dude came up to me and said, hello and welcome to Vanderbilt. I had a South Carolina shirt on and and he said, uh, he, he like asked me, bunch of questions about myself why i was in town and and <clears throat> i thought wow this guy's super cool like how, ni- how nice of him yeah. some dude he said it was your baseball coach tim corbin like spent time on the sidewalk he saw somebody and wanted to make sure that he represented vanderbilt and this was the one thing to this day i have phenomenal respect for Tim. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say this in contrast to another coach at Vanderbilt. Tim always said I'm the Vander I'm the baseball coach of Vanderbilt's baseball program. It's not Tim Corbin's baseball program. It's Vanderbilt's baseball program. I'm the caretaker of it. And he said that at a time when Vanderbilt's baseball cro- program was garbage. They had folding tables. Folding tables for the media on the sidelines, like we were at the the local softball park. If there's anybody in sports that not only deserves what he got, but but earned it, it's Tim Corbin. Yeah. And I will say, no matter what you may feel or think or who you cheer for, Tim Corbin is the guy that you that he looks like. He is the guy that that he looks like. And I would want any of my kids to play for him and I couldn't be happier honestly 
um, for his successes and um, happy for Vanderbilt that they took a took some assistant from Clemson and handed him the reins of a baseball program. Probably one of the greatest decisions in the history of college athletics when you really look back on in modern college athletics. I mean, today he'll, he'll be in the Hall of Fame one day. He'll be in the College Hall of Fame and deservedly so. I've got three Corbin stories I want to tell, but do you remember we were at the Publishers Conference? Oh, yeah. Which was in Nashville. This was the Rivals Publisher Conference, and they were holding it at the, uh, the Marriott right there, right behind the end zone. It, it had just been built. Oh, yeah. And Auburn was courting him, and I remember the guys that ran the Auburn Rivals site are not the ones that, that run it now, but I remember there was this big thing of – you know, is he going to take the Auburn job? And I just remember us talking to the Auburn pubs and they just looked at us like, well, you know, well, of course, dummy, he's going to take it. Yeah. And, um, Tim freaking Tim Corbin, crazy like a Fox and the truest, bluest person. Talk to me about it. Yeah. I mean, he talked to me about it and said, Mike, how many times am I going to get to go to Auburn and see uh, how another baseball program works? He said, no disrespect, but I mean, who am I, who am I to like say I wouldn't go and be respectful of of Auburn? It would be disrespectful for me to not go meet them. He said, but I'm not going to Auburn. (laughs) I said, I get it. I get it. I think over time people realize this guy was formidable. And I think they, I think they, at the time, and I don't necessarily blame them, but necessarily, but at the time, I think they thought it's a flash in the pan. Everybody did. Everybody other than the, we didn't, the the (laughs) five of us who were around, but. Well, Pedro Alvarez, that recruiting class changed everything. Yeah. The three story. Well, there's four stories I have about them. The, the first one I've already told. The second one, and and you remember how tough '07 was on him. I mean, they were at the top of the hill the whole year. Yeah. They were 22 and eight, something like that. They win the whole thing. And they Hoover, won every SEC series. They, they won, yeah, other than Arkansas. They yeah. they were they lost. And I think I think the Arkansas series was actually while we were in um in New York. I'm almost sure of it, but. So that they get there, they're the number one team most of the year. They're the number one seed, and then everybody knows what happened with Michigan. And so he's going through some years. He really takes that hard. Yeah. And oh eight and oh nine, oh ten, you know ten. They they got there, but they were just okay. They were good enough to get there, but not not much beyond. Although I think they did make a super. Like yeah, they did. They did make the super in twenty ten. And they got beat in Tallahassee. It was down there. It was about 149 degrees. And I remember just riding back with a buddy of mine who was a big baseball booster at the time. Uh, I hadn't seen him in a couple of years. But he just looked at me, was just defeated, and he just says, I don't know if we'll ever get there. I said, you know what? I got, I got a funny feeling that next year's their year. And, and it was. Well, Tim um, would always say, you have to get there one step at a time. Yeah. He would always say, you, you're going to get to a super, you're going to get to a regional, preferably at home, but probably not. He said, you're probably not going to win if you're on the road, which they didn't. They went to Virginia, 
Virginia was highly ranked team mm -hmm. and Vanderbilt kicked their, I mean, embarrassed Virginia, swept them, I believe. And that was when it turned. That was when the whole world of baseball went, and Virginia was really good. And then they, they won the Super. I think they went, the first one they went to was in Texas and they got destroyed in that field. I hate that field so much. It's such a joke. Sorry if you're a Texas fan, but, but th they got destroyed in Texas. And that was hard on Tim because Tim really idolized their baseball coach. And then they destroyed Virginia. I think it was then, and then they went on to host in Nashville. And that was legendary. That, that was ridiculous. That was unlike anything I've ever seen. That I've seen a lot of things. That was, that felt weird how big it was. I, th I think the whole city of Nashville, yeah. certainly the sports world was shocked at how cool it was. Yeah. People scalping tickets, sold out to the rafters, and it was legit fun. And Vanderbilt was legit. Yeah. I don't think anybody had ever thought the biggest story in sports was going to be Vanderbilt baseball. And it sucks that they, they lost to Michigan, but I will tell you, it's one of the greatest experiences of my life. I remember one of the coolest things was seeing the Michigan kids yeah. come to Vanderbilt. And Michigan is like a huge, very powerful state university, came to Vanderbilt and were just absolutely in awe of everything. I remember so vividly the black gold uh -huh. cheer at that series. It was deafening. Mm -hmm. It was deafening from the outfield to the infield. Mm -hmm. And I just remember thinking, I am here when this is happening. This is insane. This is insane. Like, this is a moment. This is actually real. This is happening. And and it felt like it's another one of those moments for us where it felt, yeah. I remember calling you going, you freaking believe this? Yeah. And the Michigan kids were just in, oh, they were just, I remember I was shooting down next to their dugout and they were just like, so had so much fun. They were like, yeah. this is so awesome. I don't care if we win or lose. This is awesome. Cause they didn't have fans. They didn't have any baseball fans at Michigan. It's one of the proudest moments for Vanderbilt, uh, was that ironically and an Allen Oaks, you know, yeah kid who never went on to do anything for the rest of his career right. <laughs> I became a pitcher i think tim said oh he crushed it <laughs> and then they almost they almost vanderbilt almost came back i mean i think yeah. i think the ball was on the track uh the ball was over the fence yeah yeah i think they were one of the best college baseball teams in history I mean, look at the kids that played on that yeah. team. They've all, so many of them went on to play professionally for a, for a very long time. David Price being one of the biggest, but he was certainly not the only one. Pedro and Ryan Flaherty, and I mean, those kids. A lot of those kids played for a long time in in the pro in the pros. But it was, you know, it was still one of the greatest moments in Vanderbilt athletics history, and one of the greatest weekends in Nashville sports history. The three stories I have back to that period of time after 07 and, and you're just like, are they ever going to get there? And so 11, they win a regional. They get a, a matchup with an overmatched Oregon State team and they just boat race them. Westlake has three home runs on that Saturday night game. And it just was like a sense of relief. You could feel it. 
Yeah. And that was so much fun. I wake up the next morning. Of course, we're, I'm sure we, I don't know when we got in. I'm sure it was not, <laughs> it's probably after midnight. We're writing and yeah. putting up photos. And I wake up the next morning and there's a text on my phone. And, and, and by the way, I've had somebody tell me that they have been in his office after, like, I think they got to Omaha and he had like 900 and something text messages. So that's how much attention Tim gets when something happens that's good. I, I wake up and there's a message on my phone and it says it was sent at, I don't know, 3.30, 4.30 in the morning. Yeah. And it, it, it just says, Chris... Thanks for being there for us. You've been there since the beginning of this. And thanks for being there for us. And I'm just like, that's Tim Corbin. You know, to be honest, um, there were a number of years there where we played a pretty pivotal role in the program's growth. Well, we were the only people covering them, Mike. But, yeah, we were the only one covering them. But we were also covering baseball recruiting is a legitimate thing. I still to this day think that it's a huge miss for all of college athletics that that baseball recruiting isn't covered the way football recruiting is. I understand yeah. I understand it, but you know, we took the time to talk to the people and do the right things and treated the kids and the families with respect. And Tim really appreciated that. He just really appreciated it. He knew we didn't he knew we did it because we believed in the program. We believed in him. It felt like it deserved coverage. You just you're sitting there watching. You're watching this huge story unfold, and nobody else is around to see it. And you're just you're kind of we're looking at each other like, how has nobody figured out this is a big story, right? Yeah, I mean, at the I still felt at the time that there was a window for college college baseball. I still feel like rivals blew it. Yeah, they should have pursued baseball as a as a legitimate thing and it, to me it never made any sense because it was a time of year in which there was nothing else going on too and they were sitting here like watching the southeastern conference grow up into this massive powerhouse you know lsu and south carolina have more f baseball fans in a season than they have for their basketball programs yeah. i mean it made no sense to me that rivals didn't sh see that this could be a legitimate um, second wave, second thing for them from a publishing standpoint. Maybe we were, maybe we were not in a realistic position. Maybe, maybe we just thought more of it than it was because we were fortunate enough to be on the doorstep of, you know, one of the greatest base college baseball stories in history. I think rivals attitude at the time was just like, well, okay, great. It, it might be, it might be kind of cool to some people, but you're better off staying at home even if your team is Omaha and, and calling up kids that they'll never come to your campus and writing recruiting stories. I mean, that was the vision in our industry. And our, our industry has never been great in terms of, of visionaries and, and creative with coverage. And, and frankly, it's probably in a lot of ways gotten worse since you got out of it. I just think that Rivals system was set up to make a lot of money on football recruiting. Yeah, I think that's just really the bottom line. And you know, their site would crash every <laughs> every year. Their site would crash on signing day every year, which was embarrassing beyond belief. But it told you about the growth of of digital media 
and of, of subscription-based services. And I'm not in it anymore, so I don't really understand what it is today. But Rivals did a lot of really remarkable things that were quite literally unprecedented. Their technology wasn't even close to what they were selling it as, which they certainly knew, unfortunately, behind the scenes. But got to give them credit. I mean, they they paved the way for really subscription-based services. I mean, they were the first one to do that. We were just really, you know, again, like stroke of luck to be in the same town that they were in. They would come down, you know, they having, sometimes they have nothing else to do. I remember they'd come to baseball games and one, when we were covering, like, whoa, like, actually, yeah. this is actually kind of fun. But don't get your hopes up, kid, right. you know. I don't know. I've worked with enough startups now in my life, and Rivals is your typical kind of startup that, that made it. And good for them. Good for them. The two other Corbin stories I wanted to, to tell, and I, I know you know one of them. I'm not sure if you know the other. Um, I'll do these in, in chronological order. <laughs> this one's completely humiliating. Our first child was born the week they were in Omaha for the first time in 2011. Mm-hmm. And so my wife had gone through this process. I mean, she she wakes up at, I think, at 4.30 in the morning and says, you know, my, my water's broken. We got to get to the hospital. And ironically, I remember <laughs> I went to Panera Bread and ran into you in the parking lot. I don't know if you remember that. On my way to the hospital uh, for my first child being born. But we get there. And so, like, you know, I've never never witnessed a, a child being born. And I'm just thinking, I'll be, I'll be a dad by 9 o'clock today or whatever. And, and it didn't happen that way. It was a horrible process for my wife. And, and basically, I think Isabella was born at 2.57 in the morning. Well, they were playing in Omaha. And I want to say the last game, there was a rain delay or something. I don't remember, but my mother-in-law had flown into town. Only I could be in the delivery room, and she was freaking out that Kristen had had the baby and texting me constantly, what's going on? I'm worried. My parents are there. They're there for a while. They're like, this kid's never coming. So they they left the hospital and went home. And a few hours later, I'm, I'm calling them and say, hey, you may want to come back now. And so you go through all this, and you're just exhausted, right? Because I'm, I'm not getting any sleep. And I'm not one of these people that some people can stay awake for 24, 36 hours and, and deal with it. I'm, I'm not one of them. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm watching the game the next day from the hospital room and Sonny Gray's running into trouble and, and it's got to be 90 something degrees there. Mm-hmm. And you can just see he's running out of gas. And, and so I'm texting somebody just going, um, he's not pulled Sonny. What, what is he waiting on? And I looked down, and, oh, and the, the person I had texted was one entry off Tim Corbin. Oh, and I thought I had texted my friend, but I had texted Tim. Oh, man. So I'm thinking, oh, I'm an idiot. And, you know, they, they lose the game. Well, I think Sonny got hammered. Well, and, and Sonny did. It, it backfired. And, and I'm thinking that that's just like Tim worked hard to get them there, right? And I'm just, I'm just an idiot. And I just sent him a text saying, man, I'm so sorry. You, you, don't, you don't deserve that in the middle of it. And uh, I get a text back about a day later saying, I won't tell you what he, he told me, but explain a lot about it. But, but none of it was like, you know, you, you jerk. It was all like, this is why I did what I did. And he was gracious about it. Mm-hmm. And I just, that said so much about him. Cause that was, that was, I felt like such a jerk. And I was, the other thing was I had a buddy of mine and I won't go into the details, but he had had a, 
a child that was in a life or death situation. This is like every parent's worst nightmare. This guy had been a college friend of mine. I hadn't seen him in years, but a, a mutual friend of ours called and said, hey, you may want to pray for them. His son is in, in Children's Hospital at Vanderbilt, and he might not make it. And my buddy was a big sports fan. And I'm just thinking, you know, if I'm in that situation, I think I would want something that felt normal and comfortable. And I, I just, on a whim, I just like, and I texted Tim, and, and he would never want me to tell this, and he doesn't know I'm going to. But I said, I've got a buddy, and I explained the situation that they're having an awful time. You know, would you mind just sending a cap or something over just to do a cool thing? And he texts me back, says, no, I want to know where they are. Mm. I get a call the next day from my friend. He said, we're sitting there. We're just in, in shock, and we're looking up. And I look up, and I, I can't. I was like, is, it, is that Tim Corbin standing in our in our room, and, and of course it was, and he would never do something like that mm. for that story to be retold, and that's the first time I've ever retold it publicly. Mm. Uh, and he went back to check on him again, and that's there are people that you cover that you, I think your respect for them transcends whatever, and if you want to know why he's built what he's built and he's respected as he is. That's why I was down on the field a lot. I was shooting and I'd be sometimes in the dugout during games. And Eric Backage was, was an assistant too. went on to coach ironically, Michigan. Yeah. We both loved him. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, but Tim was always extremely respectful and kind to me and all of his coaches were, all of his players were, uh, he would have it no other way. I do remember i don't know what game it was i was shooting i was near home plate so i was down in the field is this the florida series no i don't know i don't know want to talk about that one that, that was that's not one i want to relive <laughs> i was shooting right next to the dugout so it's like down in the well next to next to the vanderbilt on deck circle yeah right next to home plate and so there was a play at the plate and i shot the play at the plate and the official got it wrong Called it wrong. Called either, I don't remember whether he called the Vanderbilt player out. This or, was before replay. Oh, yeah. It was, I don't know whether he called the Vanderbilt player out or he called the other player safe. Yeah. Tim said, you get it? I said, yeah. And he said, I want to see it. I'm like, it's in the game. <laughs> and I showed him I showed him my camera. And he, he goes, he's got the photo. You made the wrong call. It's right here on his camera. I'm like, what? Yeah, there were there were a few of the moments like that. Road trips were big stories, and I wanted to go back to two. New York, okay. when me and you and Brett were there, and you, we talked about this earlier, they had me sitting for the Georgetown game. Oh, no. I was on the far end, oh, no. on the other baseline. Yeah. I'm trying to write and do stuff as quick as I can, and I didn't have a great view of the play on the other end. I did not realize there was such a big to do about the green travel till I got in the press conference because we're not watching TV or anything. That's back before you could really text. And, and then, of course, I see the replays like, oh my goodness. I mean, it happened so fast on the other end. And then, of course, you're going, oh man, that just reframes the entire game. And then we go the next day or two days later 
and and Georgetown just wipes the floor with Carolina, and you're thinking, man, if they caught UNC on that day, they'd be in the Final Four. You know, because at that point, I had seen the photographs. I mean, I knew, I knew he had traveled. Yeah. Now, I mean, to be honest, like he did travel. I was on a lot of radio. I was on a lot of shows the next day, and they were. Everybody wanted to talk about my photographs, which, you know, I don't know why they wanted to talk to me. All I did was take the pictures. I was like, look at the pictures. What do you want me to tell you? But you know, that stuff happens a lot. Yeah. It really happens a lot. You just happen to be there. Do you remember our first trip to the SEC tournament? That would have been the first year we did it. That, there, yeah, there, there was that. And, and the other thing that we did that year, we, we covered the first game ever at the Curb Event Center. That was Kevin's kind of year on the brink and... They'd scheduled Belmont. He and Bird were big friends. And, you know, we didn't know going into that season. We thought Kevin's probably more likely to lose his job than than anything. And mm-hmm. they start 10-0. and They beat Belmont in their place. Uh, and they end up getting to Atlanta. First road trip we ever took, I think. We might have gone to Knoxville that year, but I don't think we did. So we're there, and it just the, – the whole thing, just covering that tournament for the first time and – yeah. And seeing what it was, and and the Vanderbilt played Mississippi State. Yeah. I think of the second game. State was in the top five at the time. It was the last game of the night, too. Yeah, and and it was. I mean, we were. I, I think we were literally the last non-employee people out of that building. I think we left the the building at two thirty after we had written and uploaded all our stuff. Yeah. But I just remember we went to that tournament, and and they probably were in the the NCAs a whole lot more safely than we thought. They ended up getting a six seed, but that was kind of the night that they they upset a top five team, and they were going back to the tournament for the first time in in a long time. And I think that's that's an event I'll never forget. I remember the next day they played Florida. I think it was a pretty good game for a while, and then you could just tell. Uh, two and a half games in, they just ran out of gas and everything was hitting the front rim. But that trip was the first one we ever took, I think, together. And just a lot of fun to be down there and cover that. Yeah, I remember um, that very vividly. First of all, shooting the NCAA basketball tournament is an absolute blast. Because, I don't know if it still is. But back then, there were three rows of photographers on both ends of the court. And shoulder, I mean, you were literally shoulder to shoulder. I was sitting next to people shooting for ESPN and Reuters and shooting the NCAA, the SEC basketball tournament is really cool because number one, it's, you have all these games going on. And number two, the food was amazing. (laughs) The food was awesome. Oh my gosh. It was so great. And they would have like the balcony where the, where the area was where you could eat. You could sit up there and eat and watch games. I'm like, oh my gosh, like they should be paying, like we should be paying for them for this. But my, one of the, and I think I've told you this quite a few times, one of the most, one of the coolest moments I ever had covering athletics was that game. Because that game went to overtime. Yeah. And there was a moment in that game near the end where it ceased to be a game between Mississippi State and Vanderbilt. It became a great basketball game. Mm -hmm. Vanderbilt was the underdog. I mean, there was like 14,000 Mississippi State fans there. And, but all the photographers, everybody, you started to feel this like you were watching Mm -hmm. like a heavyweight fight. Yeah. And, and the underdog was, was 
in it. And the underdog was legit. Like you get that sense. The underdog was legit. Like this was yeah. not a mistake. And Matt Frege was on that, was on that team. Yeah. And they went to overtime and it was late. It was, you know, you're so tired, but the, the adrenaline at that point is so high. And I remember, um, it was at the turning point in overtime and there was a foul shot that was being shot. I think Frege, I don't think Frege was shooting. Frege was like coming, he was lining up for the rebound. So I was sitting right underneath the bench shooting, right underneath the basket shooting, right? And there's, it's a television game. So there's a long kind of like break. You know, they go to a break and, and during, you know, during that time, players are just kind of walking around, kind of getting their head in the game. It's like a stall in the game, so to speak. Yeah. We knew the players pretty well on that team. We knew a lot of the player, their parents too. And we had gone to this tournament. It was the first like, um, rivals. We were like legit. We were legit at that point. Yeah. And I remember sitting there watching, I was shooting, I was holding my camera and I was just taking a moment. At that point, I was like, win or lose. Holy, holy crap. This is like a, this is a moment. And I remember there are many times you and I would look at each other like, you know, and mouth like, wow. Or Matt Frege walks up to this, to the foul line, you know, to, to, to get ready. There's this pause. He's got his hands on his knees. He's kind of looking down and he looks up and we, he, we look straight at each other. Game was tied and he winks at me. This season of the Vandy Sports Podcast has been made possible by my friend, Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. Just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville, but he sees regular folks like you and I as well. What people love about Jody's office is the ambiance. It's relaxing. It's friendly. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. Whether your needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody today. Call him 615-270-2322. See him at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown or the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player and a huge Commodore booster, so go and talk Vandy sports with him while you're there. Go see Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of this podcast because without it, this season would not be possible. And they win the game. They win the game. That and then they, that was the. Um, I asked him about it. Did you really? And and then that was, of course, the year they they be in NC State and probably the best Vanderbilt basketball game that I have seen. I watched that from TV. Oh, I don't know about that one. In our no, I, I think that was the best game in terms of script and everything and just how excited those kids were when they won the game yeah. because it had been it had been a, that was the team that the year before had gotten beaten what was it 62 points at Rupp Arena and just the the unbridled joy when they won that game that, that was I mean they were down what was it eight points with two minutes left or something I mean I I'm sure there are people out there listening that know it by heart but yeah. to see the comeback the Mario Moore pass and everything uh, that was that was probably 
probably the best and most memorable game that I've witnessed, even if it was from TV. That that and the the one in in New Jersey since since we've done this. I would say that play call that Kevin called in yeah. the NC State game was the greatest thing I've ever seen in sports. Honestly, it was the greatest moment I've ever seen in coaching. Yeah. And I've seen other really cool things. Kevin was not the most chummy guy, <laughs> to say the least. But that guy could coach, man. Yeah, that was the he was the best X's and O's coach um, I've ever been around in any sport. That play that won the game for them, he drew that up in the huddle before in that timeout. It was Mario Moore dribbling the ball and passing it on the dribble on a long streaking bounce pass. He literally drew that in the timeout. And I was like, this guy has a mind for basketball that is really different. There's a deal where the guy, the coach literally drew that play up. They never ran it before or since. I wasn't at that game. I was actually at a cabin in the Smoky Mountains watching it, um, which was weird. But I would say the greatest basketball uh, moment was Shane Foster's uh, senior night against, I think, against Mississippi State. Which I spent hearing about later because it was my honeymoon and I got the flu and had about a 102-degree fever and was trying to do stuff not to bore my wife but just feel feeling awful. And I remember, I remember checking my email to say, like, I wonder what happened. And I get this email. It's like Shane Foster scores 41 points. And I'm like, what? Yeah. And that was another one of those moments where time was like standing still. You could feel that there was no way he was missing anything to be there, to sit on the sidelines in the end zone. I mean, hearing photographers just go, man, oh my God, I can't believe it. And even he was shocked. I mean, he kept getting pushed further and further away and he was still just dropping everything. I remember after the game. I, well, those were some of the most iconic photographs I've ever taken. Yeah. Uh, his family there crying, him holding a finger in the air to God, looking up with the whole student section around him. Shane and I are still friends to this day. We still see each other around from time to time. We still talk about that those photographs. Yeah. Uh, but the most most incredible moment for me was th- uh, was after. The game when it was like uh it had just happened the game got won and andrew ogilvy walked straight up to me and said i was a witness james franklin where do we go with that one i'll just say what i've said to you many times i mean james is one of the best offensive bat, uh, football coaches in in football and he was that at Vanderbilt he never got enough credit for for his coaching I mean he was an extraordinarily good coach he understood still is but he understood especially at Vanderbilt that you there what would he say he wouldn't call them trick plays he would call them money plays like he wasn't he knew that there were key moments in games where you had to make calls and I think Kevin Stallings was probably a lot like like that as well we knew pretty quickly that James was going to be uh, a short timer. You know, we had a lunch with him that was pretty awkward, I thought. I don't want to go into any of the details on that, but I remember <laughs> saying, James, we're going to be here a lot longer than yeah. 
than you're going to be. <laughs> like, because he was trying to get us to yeah. cooperate more, tell his side of the story more. Yeah. And, you know, we were dumb enough to think we were journalists, I guess. And he had a real big problem with that. Yeah. And he would say, you know, you don't understand how this works. He's right in a lot of ways. That, that is how it works in some places. But it's not how it's supposed to, but it, it does. I think now the concept of these team sites is now super common. I mean, there's a predator, there's a Nashville Predators site. There's a Tennessee Titans. I mean, it's their team media that used to be VU Commodores. Like that used to be the way they did it, but now it's commonplace in that respect. But I don't want saying that James cheated, but James knew where the line was and he was going to be right on it for sure. Do you remember they had a press conference where they had multiple kids committing at once locally and I went to it. Do you remember the phone call I I made to you? You know, okay. Well, that was a moment where ah <laughs> uh, boy. What is it we're getting into here? Cuz I remember that whole one just felt icky. I never felt particularly good about James and how he was approaching. It's going to sound like I'm implying that he was uh, cheating that I don't, I'm not, that what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying I felt like it's, it was always about James. James. Totally. It was always about James. And I think at the time it was awkward because Tim was always about Vanderbilt. Right. And it was always about James with James. I, disagree to this day with people who say oh james could have been here that's nonsense james had never never had any intention of being a long timer at vanderbilt and i don't say that as a criticism i actually kind of say it as a bit of a compliment but more just a statement of fact i think james always been about james i mean when james got hired he had a three ring binder book about how he was going to run his program and he presented it to David Williams. I mean, he was like pitching. I kind of liked that. I respected that, uh, that he always had a plan. Will we see Vanderbilt win that many games again in a season? Uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. You know, they had a lot of really good players. That's for sure. And, but more than that, he was just a really freaking good coach. And he had really good assistants too. I mean, I don't know. I definitely felt when we went to that bowl game in Birmingham, I could absolutely feel it was over. I knew there was no doubt he was leaving. And I definitely felt like it was the end of the, of the era of Vanderbilt football. Yeah. There was, and I really hated that because I didn't want James to hold that. I didn't want that for Vanderbilt. I didn't think he deserved to have that position. But Vanderbilt just was not in a position to recover from that. A lot of times what happens when you are in a weak position is that you overcompensate on the other side in order to um, try to stay in the game, so to speak. I don't know. I, I guess they were fun. I shot a lot of good photography at that time of Vanderbilt Athletics. My wife and I cheer against him, so, you know, I'm not going to... It's not personal. I mean, I will say, like, I really love the fact that James support, supported the baseball program. And went to the College World Series to support Tim. Uh, I think that's cool. That's really cool. I think James just is a competitor and people mistake him for being a Vanderbilt guy 
he's just a really good football coach. That's it. And yeah. I think he was all in at Vanderbilt and he's all in at Penn State. And if he goes somewhere else, he'll be all in there. And I just think he's a really, really good football coach. And I, th- I don't think he gets enough credit for being a good football coach, frankly. Well, and then we went from that to Derek Mason. And we knew right away that was, you know, within a couple of games, that wasn't going to work and why it wasn't going to work. And we also knew that Vanderbilt was just, I mean, I, it felt like Mason could have shot the Pope on the 50 and it wasn't going to matter. Yeah, the strange thing about that was that Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt was playing Stanford in a, a baseball series when, when, right, when Derek got hired. And, and uh, I remember talking to the Stanford coaches. I was like thinking, hey, you know, I was thinking I was going to, we're going to have this really chummy sort of conversation and their response was really reserved and awkward. I remember calling you going, oh, no, no. Uh, this was really awkward. Like, I'm not going to publish this, but David wanted what he wanted. David always got what he pretty much got what he wanted for the most part, I guess. Uh, I will say you had me at hello. <laughs> I, you know, David was uh, gracious with time with me at, at, at times. And, um, you know, I sat in his office a few times and talked with him about some stuff. <laughs> some pretty strange, pretty strange conversations at times. There is a story that David told me that I've told quite a bit. You know, he used to be at Ohio State, and he uh, told me that he was at at this time he was up in Columbus at, on campus. I don't know, I don't know why he was there, seeing old friends or something. And he and he um, came across a, a guy on the sidewalk named Ron Springs. Now, you know, we're we we know who Ron Springs is. And uh, a terrific running back. I think he won the Heisman. And no, he didn't win. He was really big. Kind of not unlike Eddie George, honestly. And he's like, Ronnie, what the heck? You know, great to see you, man. And they were chatting. And and, uh, he said, what are you doing? What are you doing? He said, I'm a coach. I'm going back to school. He said, no way. Because he didn't get his degree back then. Yeah. Back then, schools didn't have to have any athletes on any progress. I mean, they can no. do whatever they want, and they did. He said, Ronnie, that's awesome. Like, you going to school here? He said, oh, no, I'm not going to Ohio State. I'm going to University of Washington. They would never teach me anything at Ohio State if they knew I was here. And I remember David telling me that and how angry he was about that and how embarrassing that was. I think he really did have a lot of respect for Vandy. Um, particularly in the early days when Gordon Gee was here. Things just kind of, I think, got away from uh, from Vanderbilt at that time. There was just a lot of weird things happening and Kevin Stallings. Yeah. You know, it, was just, it was just a weird time. It wore you out after a while. We could do a whole day of a podcast about the, the Kevin stuff alone and what we dealt with with that. But, I mean, and not really from Kevin, but just, you know, the school would monitor every word we said. And, and like the Mario Moore thing was such a mess. Yeah, was- um, and we'd put stuff on the board. We'd get phone calls from the school and like, I'm not wrong. I think you'd had enough. I remember it was, I, b- I believe this was 2014. Mason had just finished his first year. And you kept talking about getting out. I thought you'd done this so long and... It just like I couldn't imagine 
doing this and you weren't with me. And, and Jesse Johnson, too, was with us. That's yeah, yeah. Jesse was a, a good dude and a good friend. I haven't talked to Jesse in a couple of years, and I need to. But I remember talking to you on the sidewalk, kind of between the the tunnel, or right right at the tunnel, coming out of the stadium. And you just looked at me and you said, I'm done. And you were. I don't remember really what you were. You probably saw the writing on the wall. This was right after the Vandenberg stuff. And we knew that Mason wasn't going to get it done. Kevin, you know, we we were still. Uh, covering basketball was never easy, even when it was good. But definitely, I don't know if you saw something that I didn't see. You. you but that was that was definitely the right time to walk away. I don't know. For me, that was um, I was tired. I'm just gonna be honest. Yeah, I was tired of being disrespected by Vanderbilt. Yeah, I was tired of being treated like I was a child from certain people that were that were in the athletics department. I'm a grown man. I was a grown man. I was treated like a child. It was it was always that way for all of us. It was always that way for all for all of us. Not always with everybody. Dan Muller was a terrific partner. We lo- I, lo- I liked him a lot personally. Uh, and uh, Dan Cage, of course, very close friends of mine and his father. And there were a lot of wonderful people around the program. Just Kevin wasn't one of them. Yeah, I don't think Kevin had any interest whatsoever in anything around the program. I don't think he, I don't know how much he actually really liked Vanderbilt. I, that's probably not fair. Kevin, David told me once, you know, you may think that Kevin is whatever you think he is, but the truth is he's very shy. He's very uncomfortable person around, around people. And I think when David told me that I started to have a little bit more, um, just empathy for Kevin. I started to see that he just didn't like, he didn't like, he wasn't comfortable with people the way that so many other people were. Like I remember Eddie Fogler, he would just talk, comfortable just talking with people. He didn't know, he liked it. Yeah, Uh, Kevin never liked it. He's just, he was always really awkward. And I think a lot of times we took him to be rude when he was just not very good at people stuff. He's one heck of a, basketball coach and i'll tell you that uh i don't didn't always agree with how he ran things i didn't agree with how he treated people uh a lot but that doesn't make him a bad guy you know i think people are allowed they're allowed to be who they are you know i'm not perfect i have my flaws um somebody could sit on a podcast and talk about dumb things i've done and it'd, it'd be a lot longer podcast than this so you know I felt bad. I remember when um, Kevin won, I think it was in New Orleans, right? He, yeah. And I remember how angry his family was, feeling like we didn't, that we had been disrespectful and mean to Kevin, um, didn't appreciate him. And that kind of hurt my feelings. I, I, I felt bad about that. I still feel a little bit bad about that. I don't, I know he made a lot of money. Yeah. And you know what I mean? It was his job. I think, but I don't think, I feel bad that he ever felt that badly about how he was treated. 
Well, look, I think I, like if I were sitting down just and, and Kevin and I didn't know each other from Adam, I think I'd get along with the guy. I think he's wickedly funny. I think he's bright. I think he's a lot of things. I think he's a good friend to a lot of people. I really do. I I, I, wish, I kind of wish I knew him, but he just never would let you like the fact in 15 years, I, I never could get called by my first name once. I mean, it was the same with you and I mean, it, it wasn't really, but I'm just like, I'd introduce myself to him. Like, can there not be a little something here? But then it's just like, do you start to understand after a while, like the Mario Moore year and all that stuff that went on, we were getting blow by blow on that. That was just, it was, it was what we dealt with and then hearing all that. And it made it really hard to probably see the good that there was, that there was there in Kevin, that people that knew him differently saw that we just never, we never got a window into through no fault of our own. Yeah. That was a scary time. That was, that was only time I was actually uh, scared. I was scared. Uh, I was scared that something would happen. Yeah, yeah. I was legit worried that we might actually have. We might actually know something. Yeah, <laughs> that was a scary time. I don't know. It was. It was hard. We had some of the most. Those were very unique conversations that you and I had at that point. Yeah, got a few phone calls from people in the media too, warning us, which was really scary. Yeah, I don't know. I think for me, uh, I guess in my in my generally in my career, I don't do well when I'm bored. Like uh, the Incredible Hulk says, "You won't like me when I'm angry." Yeah. Well, you won't like me when I'm bored. I don't like me when I'm bored. And so, what happens when I get bored is I overthink, I over design, I over everything. I try to. I'm like the working dog that's in a cage that keeps running up and down the fence. I felt like we had seen, we had seen and done it at that point. We had seen it all that we were going to see and done everything we were going to do at that point. And it was all going to be, I think being a photographer was harder because I would shoot, you know, how many photographs you take when you're shooting a game. Most people have no idea how many photographs you take. I mean, hundreds, maybe even a thousand photographs in the game, regardless of the game. And two of them get published. And I have, this is not going to be earth shattering news to anybody listening, but nobody wants to see pictures of a loss. That's, I remember I told you that, right? I realized that a huge amount of the things I was doing in my time were simply, they just, nobody cared. It just didn't matter. Like, no, it wasn't that it was bad. They were great. But nobody cared. If you think people didn't care then, uh, you should. <laughs> and, and you do watch it from afar. You'll occasionally send me a text yeah. during a game. But it, it, what, do you, what do you think when you look at it now? Because it's, I mean, those were the glory days when you were stepping away. They, they were just starting to end with the beginning of Mason. They, of course, yeah, Corbin won his first national title the first year you didn't cover it. And of course, got one a year later. But I mean, other than that, Mike, it's been bleak. Yeah. I 
I guess, I don't know. I don't know. I went to a private school. I went to Oral Roberts University, roughly similar size school. We didn't have a football program. Never missed it. The SEC is, whatever it was back then, it is, it is much different today. Yeah. And it was, it was different back then. It's just different today. I say this, I say this with a, I don't know whether, I don't know how to say this. Like, I guess what I'm saying, I guess, I guess my, I feel bad for Tim. That's, that's, I guess that's the, what I'm going to say. So I'm going to preface what I'm about to say, because I know it would be terrible for Tim. I just don't understand what Vanderbilt's, I'm not in it anymore. So I'm not saying that, that there isn't one. I just don't know what Vanderbilt wants out of its athletics department any, anymore. I don't understand it. I don't understand. I've, I'm far enough away from it now to where I only hear and see the high, the high, whatever you want to call them, whatever it is. Right. Yeah. And nothing is changing. Like you will call me and you'll say, oh, they're going to do this renovation. And I'm like, no, they're not. They're not. They're not going to do it. I mean, maybe they will. Right. But I just now know five years later, I'm going to go look at the baseball, the football stadium on a TV screen. and It's going to be the same one. Doesn't anybody have any pride down there? Like, I just don't understand why Vanderbilt would want, if anybody at Vanderbilt, like if you've listened this far, right, you've heard what an hour and a half of terrific stories about your university. Yeah. Things that will, are going to go down and like when we're gone, these moments will still be here. Some of my photographer, my, some of my photos are still going to be viewed. Like I have some down on the walls at, yeah. at McHugan. I don't understand what, what are you doing? I just don't understand what you're doing. I don't, I'm not saying that you don't know what you're doing. I don't know what you're doing. I don't get it. I, I don't know what it is that you have have a little bit more pride. Like I'm not saying like it it just rankled James so much. And I really respected James for this. Yeah. I remember something James said to me once. He said, "Mike, I'm walking along the fence on the practice field and the pain is peeling." Like what the heck? What the heck? I'm going to get some paint. And he did. Why doesn't that spirit exist down there? Like he told me he's like I had to go get, I had to go buy locks for the freaking lockers so the kid's stuff wouldn't get stolen. Like, come on, man. I mean, I was like, I loved that about him. Yeah. I loved that he took it personally. Does Vanderbilt take it personally? I just don't, it doesn't feel like it's personal for them. And I don't understand why you would want to get your brains beat in. Like, I don't really get why, like, don't you want to win? Like, aren't you kind of ashamed? at some level of doing press releases and press conferences about plans that don't ever happen. I mean, that would embarrass me. <laughs> it just would. I would be like, this is really kind of embarrassing. I just don't understand it. I don't get it. Well, but you, you've seen a little bit of higher ed doing some projects when I was in it and, and higher ed, the thing about it is sometimes people get paid incredibly well yeah. to just to be mediocre. And, and if you can all be mediocre together and keep your checks, then you don't have to really work hard and you get paid a lot. And that's what drove James crazy 
yeah. was that's why they didn't like James. And there were other reasons to not like James, but that was one of the big ones is he sort of he sort of crashed the fraternity. And, and, and it's just kind of like, well, wait a minute, we, we can all make our money without doing a lot of work. And that's that's what it was about James that that rankled. Now, look, there were some people that there were probably twelve dollar an hour interns that were getting calls at midnight or whatever, and those are the ones I feel sorry for. But there was another part of it too. I'm like, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, I'm not saying that you don't have a plan. I'm not saying that you don't care. It just doesn't look like you do. Yeah. And so. I don't know. Maybe I'm just the old man now, but go to the A10. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like go to the Big East or whatever. But if you're going to be in it, be in it. You know, I went to a small school. You know, the Maybe Center is still beautiful. 10,000 seats. It's not, you know, it's beautiful. It's cool. But our baseball stadium back then, ORU was a superpower back then. Baseball stadium was really cool. Yeah. Really cool. Still is really cool. Hawkins Field is freaking great. What they've done with Hawkins Field is phenomenal. But what David Price has done Hawkins Field is really incredible. Let's be honest. And and I'm not putting down Vanderbilt at all. I just don't understand the game plan. I don't understand the game plan. I don't know what it is. I don't know why Vanderbilt allows people to do press releases and press conferences about plans that don't happen. I don't know why you don't get fired for that eventually. Like, I don't know why that doesn't get you into the chancellor's office and say, what the heck? Like, this is embarrassing. If you didn't think we could pull this off, then why were you doing that? At some point, you can't pass the buck. At some point, don't you just have to pay the piper? I just don't, that's my only thing. I just... I hate, well, you know me better than most people. I mean, I would go to Vanderbilt basketball games when Eddie Fogler was here, when it was 15,000 people to the rafters. I remember going to a basketball game with my old record business designer friend, Bill Brunt, who has passed away from leukemia many years ago. But we went to see Vanderbilt play Tennessee at Memorial and we were sitting in the third deck of the end zone and they were both pretty good teams, right? I remember almost passing out from the heat and the screaming. And I didn't even, at that point, I didn't care who won or lost, but I look at TV now and I see like 2000 people at basketball games and I'm being honest, like, it's not very good basketball. I don't think you have to be Eddie Fogler to go, it's not very good basketball. <laughs> like I was there when there were 15,000 people for every single game. And maybe there's just people down there that never experienced that now. Like maybe, the, maybe this is normal, but it should be embarrassing. It, it should be embarrassing because the legacy of Vanderbilt basketball especially and heck women's basketball i mean there was a time when women's basketball was the thing they were a freaking superpower like to me vandy is the only school where the fans actually care a heck of a lot more than the school does and i just don't maybe that's not fair i don't want to come off like an 
like a jerk. It's just that I look at TV and I see 2,000 people at a basketball game. And it's sad to me because I had so many unbelievable moments at that, at that gym. I remember taking my little kid down to, you know, to the ESPN broadcast when ESPN broadcasted from Memorial gym, when they played Kentucky on national television and (laughs) almost throwing, almost throwing a UK fan dressed up like Elvis over the balcony, but that's for another podcast. But I just wish it mattered. I just wish it mattered. It doesn't seem like it, it doesn't seem like it hurts the way it does me. It makes me sad. Honestly, it makes me sad. I think basketball more than football. And I don't, I don't go down there anymore. As you know, I know the new football coach is doing a great job. I actually think they're doing a great job. I think they're going to be fine. The basketball situation to me is just very sad. It's very sad. I just, I look at Will Purdue's jersey on the wall and I look at, um, I don't know, there's just been some really great things happen in that gym. It's an epic gym. I remember going going to Indianapolis and and going to to the to the field house there. Man, those are the two like legend to me, there's those are the two old school legendary basketball arenas. Most people don't even know it was an opera. It goes like like they don't even know the history of of Memorial Gym and how special it is. And I love that they've kept it special. But now I just wish that, I wish that they were angry. I wish they were angry or it's just not, I just wish I felt people were pretty pissed off about, you know, I just remember Eddie Fogler doing call-in radio shows where people would be on the phone for an hour to ask him a question with Charlie Mack. I mean, I'm old, I get it, but man, it's just like, that used to be the legacy that used to be people don't even realize that that was like that was a reality like and i know nashville was a different city back then you didn't have the titans you didn't have the predators you didn't have man nashville's probably half the city size that the city is there's a lot more competition times change i'm not upset about that i wish that more i i guess i've never said this before i wish people were more pissed off like james franklin was I mean, if James is listening, he probably is shocked to hear me say these nice things about him because I really, I didn't think, I, I didn't have a lot of great moments with James, but he cared. Yeah. He took it very, very personally. And to me, I don't, for me personally, in my whole career, no matter what, you should take your, the things that you do most of the time personally. It should matter to you personally. I don't get the sense that Vanderbilt Athletics is personal to Vanderbilt anymore to hear voices echoing during basketball games, to hear the ball bouncing and hearing it echo, it's just embarrassing. It should be embarrassing, honestly. And I don't sense that it is, and I don't understand why. I don't understand why. Like, I don't, like, it'd be different if they were never any good. (laughs) You know what I mean? But you gotta, like, walk around in the back and see the pictures, like, come on. It wasn't that long ago. But is anybody going out and buying black spray paint? I don't get the sense that they are. And I don't, I think it's a huge loss, honestly. I, just, I think it's, there's so many things that could be done that cost no money and, and don't really take a lot of huge boosters to, to do well. Yeah. And I find that, I still think Vanderbilt is a phenomenal university. 
I've worked with so many of their graduates. I just want, to, I want to get the sense that they care, that, that it burns. You know, George, George Plaster, I think about this quite a bit. George would say, there's something worse than pe people being angry. And that's people not, not caring. And now I just sense that people just don't care. And now I just sense that Vanderbilt doesn't care that people don't care. <laughs> like, and I don't really understand that. I don't really understand. I never liked that people would say, oh, Vanderbilt's just taking the SEC money. You and I were down there a lot. There were a lot of people working their butts off to do something meaningful. I thought at that point it was not fair. Yeah. Now I think it is fair. And maybe it's not fair, but it feels, it feels like it's fair. And that's really unfortunate. Got time for a couple of mailbag questions. Yeah. Our mailbag is presented by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, give Taylor or Russell a call. That number is 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Bear 8000 says, can you give us some backstory on how Vandy Sports started? How long of a process was it from the time you first started thinking about it till you were live online? Were you with rivals from the start or is that a franchise-type agreement with them? Who did you lean on for experience and expertise? Do you have friends at other rivals' networks to talk to, or were you focused on how to figure out everything as you went along? Well, we've gone over some of this, but there's a lot of ground we didn't cover. The backstory is I got approached by a guy named Brent High that I had known from going to school at Lipscomb. Mm -hmm. And he said, hey, we've got this network here we're looking to start a Vandy site. Would you be interested? And I was like, well, yeah. And I had no idea what I was doing. First week of January of 2003 is when we started. My training was basically, here is how to use the admin menu. Here's the recruiting database and you're on your own. I had no training in writing, nothing, and just figured it out. Um, the guys that helped me, Brett Haight was a guy that helped me. I remember Brett looked at my writing and and Polite away possible said it's a train wreck. Here's how you really write. Well, the thing is, Chris, like you always wanted to write about every single detail of every single thing. Right. <laughs> yeah. And Brett was from the newspaper business right. where he had a certain number of lines yeah. and no more. Yeah. Brett just, I mean, we love Brett. But Brett just taught you how to write like a journalist. Yeah. And you were always a great writer. You just weren't, didn't know how to write as a journalist. Not, not a clue at all. So he just taught you how to be concise yeah. and to trust the reader. Trust the reader. You don't have to tell them how many times Mario Moore bounced the ball. Like, you know, you don't have to go through every single moment of the game. Hit the highlights. And I think actually it comes back to what we said originally about one of the things that we did to solve some of that, which was we would do the, the game story which was basically free and, and the basic highlights, the AP-ish kind of story. But then we would delve into the behind, inside the game where you could write more. And I think it kind of helped solve some of that itch for you yeah. uh, where you could actually get into the details of the game. And, and uh, it was fun. They were really fun stories to read. I, I enjoyed reading them. And in that respect, Brett had a huge impact on, on us and on the site. Yeah, and I mean, we we made friends with other sites. This was more after you. The, the guys that I am probably closest to in this business are, are Anthony Dasher at the Georgia site, mm -hmm. 
Neil McCready at the Ole Miss site and Gabe DeArmond uh, at the Missouri site. Gabe and I are really close. Mm -hmm. um, That's cool. We we text each other just about every day about something, and, and Neil's been a good friend. And, and those guys are old school journalists with a capital J, where they don't run Homer team sites and. Mm -hmm. Uh, those guys have been good resources. Dash is just a, a good buddy of mine. Um, cool. Dash has been at Georgia Rivals as long as That's as long cool. as I've done this. So um, those are those are some guys, and, and Brett, of course. Okay, this is one that we need to spend a minute on. Golden parachute. Recount the Marcus Dixon saga. Give us the context of the case. What it meant to Vandy Sports to lead the exploration of the story. And what your takeaways were, it was a sad situation to be sure and any idea where he was today. That was, man, that seems like it's been, that was not long after we started the site. And and that was weird. Like, here we are a couple years in this, and you're you're exchanging emails with Brian Gumble all of a sudden. That was a weird time because um, I actually was, I actually did talk to to the show, to Brian's show. I think the vice president of programming called me one night from New York. Uh, I thought I was being punked. Let's back up a little bit because a yeah. lot of people probably don't know. I don't want to get this, the details wrong. It's been a while since I've talked about it, but Marcus was a terrific high school football player out of Georgia, Rome, Georgia. Terrific kid. He was a four-star recruit at a time that they didn't get four-star recruits. Yeah, he turned down Georgia to come to Vanderbilt. And a lot of other schools too. And he was a good kid, really good kid. But he he got a girl pregnant in high school, and because of the law in the state of Georgia, she was a minor, and so the district attorney uh, decided to prosecute him for rape. Bobby Johnson was the head coach at Vanderbilt at the time. Really hard situation for him. He was put in a no-win situation. He did, I thought he did a great job. Mm -hmm. But Marcus was being prosecuted legally, but on a technicality that everybody knew was un, unfair. I still to this day will not go so far as to say that it was ra overt racism. Marcus ha happened to be African-American. Most college athletes are, so it's not like... That's that's just the luck of the draw, in my opinion. Um, but the DA didn't do himself any favors. Well, I mean, you say that. That was rural Georgia. It was. And, and 20 years ago was a different time than, yeah. than today. And I, I, don't, I don't really completely discount that angle. Well, what happened is, um, I guess my altruistic part of me came out and I felt like, and I also had this sense, I had this sense that this was a moment in time. Yeah. That this was actually not going, this is not going to go away. And, in, and I remember calling David Williams and saying, this kid will be on Oprah Winfrey one day. And this is not going away. You have an opportunity to be on the right side of the story. And I need you to know we're pursuing it. And it's not, we're not going to, we're not going to walk away. This is not a pure football story. We're not trying to make you look bad, but David, I'm giving you a chance to look good. You can do the right thing. And you and I both know what the right thing is. And 
you know, I don't know. It's not, I don't want to judge Vandy. I really don't want to judge anybody at all. That's not the point of any of this. But the story went to where Bryant Gumbel found out about the story and um, there was a law firm that took up the case in the state of Georgia. Andrew, God, I can't remember his name now, called me on the phone. He was, he was on the legal team for Marcus. He calls me on the phone. We were the only news outlet covering this at that point. The only one. And he would call me and tell me what was going on behind the scenes. He would say, this is where we're at, going to the Supreme Court. He told me at one point, you guys are the difference. This is gonna go to the Supreme Court. And I'm telling you right now, what you're doing is being talked about. And it really matters. We were getting heavily criticized in, in town. I forgot. Oh yeah, we were being heavily criticized by sites saying we were just kind of ambulance chasing. It's not a sports story. It's not a Vanderbilt story. He's not a Vanderbilt student athlete, blah, blah, blah. Eh, maybe part of that is factually true, but it was a great story. And it just felt like the right thing to do. It just felt right. Yeah. HBO called and talked talk to me about what they were going to do. It's late at night. It's like 10 o'clock at night. It's really weird. Vice president of programming calls me from HBO mm. <laughs> and says, we're going to run it. Brian's going to do the show. And we told them the whole story. And I think we may have sent him photographs and quite literally the rest is history. He, that was a really ugly show. It, it turned out to be, I still think this day is one of the biggest shows in the history of that show of the of the series it's still one of the greatest stories that brian's show ever told uh he was he was he was acquitted and he went on to play college football at um howard it was a, a tradition hampton, hampton yeah traditionally black university um had a great career went on to play in the nfl for a while that was definitely one where I was super proud of what we, yeah. what you and I did. I was proud that we led the story and I was proud that we led it as journalists and not as, not as sports idiots. They let us break everything. Like they, they let us break everything on that story. HBO let us break that they were doing the story. Yeah. That was pretty, pretty remarkable. I mean, in my career, it's, it's never happened to me before or since. And I do remember the, the respect that the media had for us. They really respected that we did this the right way because we could have done it badly yeah. and we did it the right way. And they realized that we were actually not goofballs. Well, we probably were, but we were, but, but <laughs> when they realized that we were talking to their lawyers and that we were talking to HBO directly, a lot of rival sites picked up, picked that story up a lot. That was a huge deal. And I think it brought a lot of credibility to rivals at that point. That was a very unique moment. Yeah. 
and it was and it was a recruiting story too and that's what made it so unique in in the rivals network it i it went national that became probably the only truly national story that we did that was front page like it was top story front page of the whole system they were very proud of what we did and i'm proud of what we did i'm i'm proud of how we handled that situation um and i'm happy that marcus went on with his life this will be the last one ATL door. I want to say that either Mike or Jesse kept saying there would be some fascinating background to be told mm -hmm. about when Vanderbilt went after Gus Malzahn. It may have been later revealed and I missed it, but if there's an interesting story here, I would love to hear it. Now, I remember being told by somebody at Vandy who's no longer there, like, you won't believe what happened and I'll, I'll tell you one day and I never got the story. I have an idea of what it was, but I don't want to don't want to go there if I'm wrong. Yeah, it's a long time ago, so I'm, I don't know how much I even remember, but um, I had heard that he had accepted the job and then backed out, reneged. I thought Gus, I mean, Tim Corbin thought that Gus was going to be his counterpart. I, I think he actually would have, I think he actually could have done something special here. I think he's a terrific football coach yeah uh he loved vandy too he legitimately believed in vanderbilt and really wanted to be here but then he just chickened out at the end that's what i heard which is fine i mean that happens that's in the mailbag any anything we didn't get to probably tons of things we didn't get to yeah it's just been fun you you know many 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 late night phone calls and lots of really cool friendships um you know, members of the site that I was on, I was on somebody, I was on Twitter a couple of weeks ago and somebody, somebody is going to listening knows, I don't know who it was. Are you the, are you the Mike Rapp from Vandy Sports? <laughs> like, oh my gosh. How in the weird, is the weirdest thing. And I'm like, maybe, <laughs> depends. <laughs> Man, we just had so many, um, really remarkable um experiences i mean the the sec baseball tournaments that we covered were so much fun i mean god it was yeah. such a great event such a great event i mean people don't realize like when you, if you've never been i mean it's just baseball from sun up to sundown and every sport every major league team's got scouts there and and tim just freaking chews that tournament up every year or did yeah and i mean we just saw so many awesome performances like even just not even vanderbilt like there were some days where you'd have four games and it was just like like you'd see eight pitchers that were just like insane level of baseball mm. um i remember when vandy won against you know had one back had I think they had to beat Ole Miss twice, and remember going down the first game and then having to come back to Vander because that's when they played the second game on the same day. Who was the kid that pitched Cunningham? Jason. Cunningham. Jason Cunningham. Yes, <laughs> Jason Cunningham. Vanderbilt ran out of pitchers, right. and they threw Jason. 
I felt so terrible because I didn't cover the game. He called me up and he said, do you have any pictures of me? I was in Nashville. Jason Cunningham, who threw... You were like watching a movie. Well, the, the best part of that is, is Tim told me, I think this was off mic later. Because, I mean, the, the kid, I don't know that he hit 80. No. Uh, and, and he had like one. And, and I said, how did that work? And, and Tim basically said, I, I think they kept waiting, thinking he had to have another pitch. And he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jason, you know, it was like a movie, right? Yeah. Because I, there's, he definitely didn't hit 80. No way. I'm, I'm thinking 60. No, maybe was, maybe was, 70. He might have touched 80. Okay. Well, the point is, it was so slow that Ole Miss could never slow their swings enough. But also, the team was ready. Yeah. They knew they had to play defense. They knew they had to have the game. They had to, they had to play the game. And, you know, you go first inning and he didn't get blown up. And you think, well, whew, we made it out of one inning. And Ole Miss was great. Yeah. Second inning, he pitches and gets through the lineup. Third inning. And, you know, you had that moment where you went, could, it, could this really happen? Because how long could he go? How, yeah. That's really, you were thinking any minute now, he's going to get. I think he went five. Of course, they won it. I remember even back in Nashville, watching it on TV with my family. And it was a party, but people were just like watching TV they knew I'd been there in the morning. They were just going, oh my God. Like the, it was like crazy. Like the, uh, what? What? And the announcers were just talking about this kid that it's like the last guy on the bench that came in to throw. It's like a movie script, honestly. That was a pretty awesome. That was a pretty awesome experience. I mean, that just doesn't, that just doesn't happen. No. It just doesn't happen. And there's just a lot of SEC baseball tournaments that we went to that were really fun. I mean, I just had, in case you don't know this, I'm sitting in Chris's uh, office and I feel like I'm in the baseball hall of fame with all the pennants and jerseys and baseball cards. There isn't a more knowledgeable baseball fan on the planet than Chris. It's really quite embarrassing most of the time. It's really pretty, like, there's nothing he can't t say about any stat. And by the way, his son, David, it didn't, it was the apple that f fell straight yeah. underneath the tree. Going to NCAA, going to the baseball games down there with you, knowing how much you loved the game of baseball, and you just love, you would cover every game. You didn't care who was playing. You just wanted to cover every game. I'm like, Chris, they don't, this is vandysports.com. I mean, the, <laughs> The Auburn-Tennessee game, nobody cares about. I'm sorry. He said, yeah, but it's fun. It's great. It's a great game. Did you not see that play on third base? Like, okay, whatever. <laughs> By the way, Chris's dog is behind me now. He's like laying on my... Can you hear him growling? This is my life. Oreo. <laughs> then he said... Anyway, it's been fun. This is uh, it's a great time to reminisce for everybody that's listening that was a part of the site when I was involved. Um, thank you, uh, thank you for supporting us. Uh, I know many of you really did support us. Many of you supported us personally by by just encouraging us and and by 
late night phone calls and and cleaning up disastrous messages messes on the message boards and um john ingram was a great friend of ours too and we really appreciate your friendship and appreciate and so does oreo you can probably hear him he's like sitting on my literally sitting on my shoulder um but thank you for your support from uh, for us uh we you can't possibly know how much that meant to us when you would say nice things. But if you're listening, New York door, if you're listening, I don't want to start naming because I'll miss people, but there was a time when um, we were wondering what we were doing and why we were doing it. <laughs> You're going to edit this out, I think out, right? he's telling us it's time. <laughs> but we appreciate it. And thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you. Because um, I think you can tell you made it possible for us to have some of the greatest moments of our lives um, and to share those moments with you. And um, we appreciate it for sure. Thanks a lot, my friend. Thank you, buddy. Love you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrislee70 at gmail.com. We also ask that you subscribe to our website, VandySports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at VandySports.com. Follow me at ChrisLee70. And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon.